It's like backstage, but there's no stage. It's the standby for places green room. Welcome to In the Green Room. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of In the Green Room. I am your host, Margie Zarcone, and I am joined today by Lydia Nightingale, who has written the piece Party Talk that she just allowed to be produced at Standby for Places. Hi, Lydia. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me. Of course. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you. (laughs) So Party Talk is a, it is a treat. That's how I would describe it. It's a bite-sized treat of um, two early 20-somethings, Dave and Marie, and they're just having a bit of a chat at a party, and we learn a lot about Marie's backstory and where she's coming from in this little snippet of conversation and connection between the two of them. Uh, was this originally conceived as an audio piece or was this performed on stage? It's actually the sort of journey of this piece is very interesting because it was originally the first draft was written back in, I think, 2014 or 2015. And the first place that sort of saw, I guess, saw the light of day was when I had I had written it. I think I had um I think I had submitted it to a few places, but didn't really have any returns from that. And then a friend of mine, an act actor uh, named Lauren from uh, SUNY New Paltz. I went to SUNY New Paltz for theater arts performance. Did she, you know I went to Marist College. So oh, we were right, right on across the river. Yay. Right the same Amtrak stop. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but she was uh, in the city at the time and she was working with the Barrow Group Theater. Right. And yep. And uh, the conservatory needed short plays to work on in one of their classes and she was work she was in the class and so she actually messaged me and said hey would you want to send me a play and we might be able to do it here so she sent I sent that one and uh, they ended up doing a night where they read through all of them you know with the work that they had done on them so I was able to go down to the city with my parents and see it uh, read so I did see it on its feet yeah yeah it was awesome they did a great job um, I think it was Bronson and Sarah were the names of the actors and uh, they were excellent. And then a few years later in 2017, I believe um, I actually kind of did a, uh, I was working at the theater Institute at Sage in Troy at Russell mm-hmm. Sage college. Yeah. And I had a night of just sort of my plays uh, as readings, a couple of plays about more about, you know, sort of the millennial experience, the 20 something experience that I had written over the years. So I did have a kind of staged reading of it then as well. But this is the first time it's been done as an audio piece. So that's very, very exciting. What adjustments did you have to make? Did you have to change any dialogue or, or was it more adding? Uh, it seemed the interesting thing is that I've seen I've I went to the first rehearsal. Uh, Dunya was uh, didn't really add anything when we were running through it. I am very interested to hear the recording because I actually wasn't able to attend the recording session. So I'm assuming she might have added one or two because <laughs> there, there's a lot. There are a couple of parts um, in the play where, you know, information or 
uh, an affirmative action is kind of, you know, indicated by a nod or by a shaking of the head. Uh, There is a kiss at the end of the play. So I'm very interested to see how she dealt with that. Um, (laughs) So that should be fun, but I'm sure she did a wonderful job with it. I was very impressed by her, her work, even just in the first rehearsal. So she also, Dunya has a library of glorious sound effects. So (laughs) I have have no doubt that... (laughs) that she dove right into that. Great. Oh, that's that's really good to know. <laughs> um was this was this piece conceived as a standalone or it is it one of a collection of pieces that kind of are in the same universe or do you tend to write piece by piece and individually? Most of the time I write piece by piece. That this was one of the plays, I guess out of maybe three, uh, three or four that I wrote over the course of a few years that were very semi-autobiographical to not so semi-autobiographical in that they were pretty much just my thoughts and experiences at the time. Um, so there was this one. I I wrote one about um, a playwright who ends up making it big on Broadway, but then runs into an old crush of hers when he auditions for her play. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there was that play. Uh, So that those I kind of wrote in a group. I kind of went through a time where I was writing a lot about what if or reflecting on just things that had happened to me. Uh, I also went through a, a, a span of time where I was writing a lot of historically themed plays. Um, I've written uh, a couple of two plays about uh, a woman who is a German army nurse during World War II, and she gets captured in 1945 by the Russians and is put in a Russian prison camp and eventually escapes. And then, so that was the first play. And the second play that's still about her is about her life back in Berlin. So um, yeah, yeah. So very, very different, very different place from uh, the kind of thing I'm writing now. So did you start first with the uh, historical pieces? I know that you also have a a background in um, museum studies too, right? Yes. So uh, funnily enough, I did actually start with the historical plays uh, I had. And the the thing is, the, the only background I really had at the time was my theater arts performance background. And I loved history and I read a lot about history. Uh, I actually, the, the idea for the World War II plays came from actually family history. My father's biological mother, because he was adopted from Germany in the 1950s, his biological mother was a German army nurse captured by the Russians who escaped from them. So it was, it's a crazy story and we don't know much about her, but I kind of took that and ran with it. And I really, let's just say I jumped in at the deep end. Um, They were very, very difficult plays to write and to research, but uh, they've, you know, kind of, I actually, uh, one of them I did as a staged reading in 2011 at New Paltz and the other one was in the Riant Theater's Strawberry One Act Festival in New York uh, in 2015. And I think it got into kind of the top couple plays in their festival when people voted. So that was pretty cool. So, yep, started with history and then eventually moved into more my life on paper. 
you mentioned the past few years you've been writing about the millennial experience or semi your experience as a millennial mm -hmm. did did anything happen in in the quarantine in terms of like where your focus shifted did you lean more into thinking about things as a millennial and how things are affecting us now when did you kind of pivot away from the historical into the semi-autobiographical well, it's interesting because the party talk, uh, let's see, what's the other one? You're so vain. The one about, uh, which was the one about the playwright, those kind of pieces were more geared towards the millennial experience. Um, and even like, I guess you would say kind of a younger millennial experience. Um, and those were kind of, those were pre pandemic. Uh, when I moved into, when we moved into the pandemic, uh, I actually started writing more about still the millennial experience, but more about actually the sober millennial experience. I actually, I've been sober for uh, almost three and a half years. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's been, it's been an amazing journey. Uh, and I'm very happy that I made that decision for myself. Um, and actually went right when the pandemic was really starting up, I had, I had submitted a play called not even one, which was about a woman who's 10 months uh, along in her sobriety, but she's actually in a bar and she is confronted by the, basically the personification of alcohol as another woman who's trying to tempt her to drink. Um, and that, so it was kind of like this millennial, sort of person but dealing with the pressure of should she drink should she not drink when she's made this decision for herself so um and i actually have done more essay writing about that uh, about sobriety um so i'm kind of i've i've really seen a lot of big shifts in my life lately so i'm kind of writing more about those um and more about not it's actually funny that party talk uh you know, I love Party Talk. I love this place so much because it's it's very much kind of what was going on in my head when I was 24, um, because I have a lot in common with Marie, and uh, or I had a lot in common with Marie at the time. Um, but you know, as the years have gone on, like different things have happened, and I have a lot more to look back on, uh, experience-wise. And now I'm I'm kind of really um, reflecting a lot on my uh, experiences with alcohol, with, uh, men, that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and actually that play, not even one got produced by a uh, confetti stage here in Albany, uh, back in December, 2020. So. That's fantastic. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by you and by all writers who have such a range of material <laughs> that they grapple with and where the transition is uh i i'm reminded a lot of margaret atwood um, oh. because she went a real historical fiction route and then goes the complete opposite with mm -hmm. handmaid's tale and the testaments and into complete dystopian society and I, i'm very i'm interested to hear that what was going on in in your personal life and externally kind of shifted your focus 
as a writer and reading Party Talk for the first time, there were there were a lot of <laughs> things that Marie said and moments that I felt myself tense up because <laughs> I identified with some aspect of her experience. And it's good to hear. I feel like now we hear a lot more perspectives, but there are some that we don't hear as much. And I feel like Marie is someone who her experience can get a little lost in the shuffle. As a yes, really definitely. Thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I really, that's actually what I really wanted to now, especially when I look back on Party Talk, I think at the time I was really just writing what I was feeling as a 24 year old virgin <laughs> um, who had grown up with a very religious background. And I had just actually gone through sort of, I, I, I went through college being very sort of, I don't want to say prudish, but just very much, you know, not really doing anything. I didn't drink. I didn't do anything. And then um, right at the end of college, I met someone. It's funny that I actually say in the play that this uh, uh, guy who kind of changes my perspective is from Italy. Uh, in real life, he was from Albania. And um, I have no idea what he's doing now, but uh, <laughs> he uh, really just kind of, I'm, I'm sort of weirdly grateful for him because he really, you know, sort of hit me in the face with what was actually out there with what was expected of women, what was expected of younger women, you know, mm -hmm. to be very sexually active, um, to be very kind of, if not, not promiscuous, but just kind of like to be open to certain things. And at the time I really wasn't. Um, and it, you know, at the time, and you know, it just, it was, it's, it's hard to kind of look back on that time because so much has happened since then. But um, yeah, it, so uh, the Albanian guy mm -hmm. kind of yeah. demystified, but then also he, 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 he demystified things, but at the same time, he, stirred things up quite a bit because I was very much, um, not, I had no experience like in anything at the time. Um, I, you know, hadn't really dated very much at all. I had had one boyfriend my entire life when I was 16 for three months and it, you know, obviously nothing happened there. So it was just very much, it, it did shake things up a lot. It made me realize that I was in, you know, I, I did have control over the situation. Um, I could decide when I wanted to move forward with my, you know, sexuality and what I wanted to do with it. Um, and actually writing this play was very much a therapeutic um, experience because it helped me kind of process my way through it and also sort of process, you know, how the male sort of the male, um, perspective on it might be, I guess like the, you know, very understanding male perspective. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was really interesting to kind of see it both from the side of what I was looking like my perspective and then also possibly a male perspective. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I now uh, I kind of look back on it and I've gone through a ton. Um, you know, I kind of part of my story is actually uh, dealing with a lot of mental health issues. 
um, which had kind of started before that whole that whole rigmarole, but also really picked up uh, in 2014, um, right around the time that I was writing this play, and uh, kind of moved. The, the next couple of years were were kind of a, a cluster, <laughs> as it were. And then, um, you know, I kind of, it took me another year and a half to decide I wanted to be sober. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually, in 2017, um, I came out as bisexual. And, you know, that was kind of uh, what was going on at the time. And then um, sort of semi, semi-recently, I uh, entered into a relationship with a really wonderful woman. So there's kind of like a lot... <laughs> There was a lot going on for several years, yeah. Um, but um, I'm really starting to feel now that I can kind of look back on some of my older art and be like, wow, this is a really good snapshot of what I was doing at the time and what I, what I was thinking and maybe what other people were thinking. So I'm really happy to hear as a couple people um, have read this play uh, with Standby for Places and then come to me and said, you know, I really feel this play. Um, even the woman who read it for the first time for the Barrow Group Theater, she before she even read it in her class, she messaged me on Facebook and was like, I just want to tell you how much this play means to me that it actually exists. So that was cool. It is a real snapshot of truth. And I think speaking for myself here, I, I have such a tendency and I know other people do too, to look back at younger Margie or younger Margie's and really feel shame and, Mm -hmm. oh, that was so stupid. And, oh, why was I so upset about this? And why did I make this into such a big thing? And I, I, I feel like with, with this story, you've, carved out a safe place for the Maries of the world who have had, you know, this experience, maybe not exactly, but have identified in some way with, you know, and also that, that struggle used to stress me out when I, when I was younger and in, in my early twenties of, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Exactly. And, and it's like the longer, the longer it, it goes on and you haven't had those intimate connections, the more stressed out and in your head you get about it and what people are going to say. And is this guy a good guy or is he not a good guy? Like his reaction says a lot about, you know, what, what this relationship could be. And it, it's almost like everything's heightened. Yes. And I think that has a lot to do and not to get like all philosophical, but, um, you know, I think it has a lot to do with like, you know, the purity culture that we're raised with, Um, you know, it puts so much emphasis on, you know, losing it or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. And unfortunately, and I have to say that, I mean, that has a lot of bad consequences. Um, And one of the kind of bad consequences for me was that, it eventually became like I was just so stressed out by having to say no over and over and over again and having it be like this big deal mm-hmm. that I finally, I literally downloaded a dating app and lost it to this guy I barely knew because I just wanted the label to be off of me. You know what I mean? 
just wanted the pressure to be off. I just wanted the pressure to be off. And that, you know, I really, now that I look back at it, I wish it hadn't happened that way because, you know, not like I'm, you know, it doesn't always need to be this super special thing, but I just, I, I really wish it, I hadn't felt that pressure. And I don't think that the environment that has been created helped me at all. It is such a, a toxic environment to grow, to grow up in and, and feel almost that, almost that it's a bit fetishized. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time makes you stressed out about losing it. But then at the same time, you're like, but I also want to be a person like, you know, I, I want to be it. I would almost equate it a little bit to people who have a difficult time expressing displeasure or anger or, you know, those emotions that can be seen as, you know, quote, bad emotions. Mm -hmm. And they can have a hard time ex expressing those. And they feel like if they do express those, people will look at them differently. Mm -hmm. Because people are used to them being, you know, nice and even keel. And I... I almost I almost feel that from Marie a little bit. She's very much trying to fit into this persona that she has created for herself and the external world has created for her and she's stressing herself out by trying to fit into it. Did that make sense? Yes, yes, and it's really interesting that you point that out because I I as a person have a really hard time expressing displeasure and anger. Um, you know, I've been kind of and I, I, I'm not going to blame this on, you know, my parents or anything, but like, I have always had a, a tendency to suppress my own emotions. So I think that definitely translated over to Marie. Um, and the fact that she kind of feels like, oh, I need to kind of keep up this very sort of, um, you know, this decorum about myself. Um, you know, even when she's intoxicated, like it, I remember being, <laughs> I remember being in that state and just always feeling like, oh no, I need to act a certain way. I need to be a certain way. Um, so I know, also, yeah. I also experienced that in college. I, I think yes. we, you know, not that it was taught to us, but mm -hmm. clearly it was absorbed from somewhere that, oh, you know, th this is the way I need to act. If I want to be, if pe if I want people to respect me, and if I want, you know, it's it's an unfortunate thing when we try to put ourselves into a box. Yes, for sure. And I really feel like that was me for a long time, uh, just kind of sort of trying to fit into this sort of religious box, um, and then trying to fit into, you know the straight girl box. Um, and then, you know, when I had a lot, a lot of kind of mental health issues throughout my twenties, I kept being reminded of how, you know, unnormal I was, um, I, at least by the standards of, of the, of the world. And then when I finally kind of came out of that, and then once I realized, you know, that alcohol wasn't helping. So I decided to stop, you know, drinking alcohol. Um, you know, it, it really, I, I finally realized I was like, wow, I have so much that I can do and be, and I have a lot of kind of, you know, this experience behind me, but I don't have to, if, if what I was doing in my previous experience 
isn't helping me or was hurting me, I don't have to be a slave to that anymore. I can kind of move forward with my life um, and get away from old patterns. Um, and, you know, I have to say, I've had a lot of help with that, uh, as far as, you know, the other people in my recovery community and my therapist and, um, really, really, you know, excellent, just like friends and, you know, um, my girlfriend who is fantastic. Um, you know, just people who really support me and want me to be the best Lydia possible. So, and I think it's so beautiful that you've, you've come into your own and you're able to look back on younger Lydia, you know, Marie in the, in this case. And it, it reads as a bit of a love letter in Mm -hmm. a way. And I think we could all do with a healthy dose of that to our, our younger selves, because without those experiences, we wouldn't be who we are today. And, and our, decisions and choices and people that we have relationships with wouldn't be as informed. Right. Yeah. I, what what would you like to say to the Marie's of the world? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, let's see. I guess to the Marie's of the world, I would say, well, partly get out of your head. Um, because I think a lot of things that the world sort of imposes upon us as being this huge, big deal, this huge, you know, do or die, you know, you will not be a whole woman anymore if you do this thing, um, is complete bull. Um, it's not real. Um, a lot of the constructs that surround femininity and um, virginity and all of that nonsense. It's not real. Um, And it, you know, the purity culture of, you know, may have some advantages, but for the most part, it's just a hurtful, harmful thing. But at the same time, to never go anywhere that you are not comfortable with. Because I can say from experience that if you push yourself because you are trying to impress someone else, because you are trying to conform to somebody else's idea of what you should be, you will, I won't say you'll regret it forever because you will get over it eventually for the most part, depending on what it is, but it's just, it doesn't feel good and it makes you feel undervalued. So, you know, and just, just unhappy. So I guess I would say, you know, to kind of sum up all of that, um, you know, don't be constrained by tradition and kind of imposed values, but also make sure that you are comfortable with where things are going. I love that. Yay. (laughs) That's, That's great advice. And, you know, it's, everything is so relative to the age that, we are. Um, I work at a high school and I get frustrated when teachers say like, oh, you know, I don't know why this kid is so stressed out about this. It's not that big of a deal. Well, it's their world right now. So it is a big deal. If mm-hmm. if that is your world and your ecosystem and that's the, the realm of everything that you're working with, that is a big thing in your life. It's, it's all relative. Who are you to put, you know, 
someone's experience next to yours as an older person who has been through so much life and say that, you know, they shouldn't be feeling this much about this because it's not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. But it, but it is. And, you know, I think in this play, Marie's experience is so real and true and valid. And I, I was having like flashbacks to stressful moments you know what in my early 20s about dating and talking at talking at parties and expectations and it just gets better <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it just gets better yeah and it really does and i and you know as i, I really do uh believe I, I believe very strongly that things do get better um you know if if my experience can can say anything, you know, I spent many years just not, just not really like sticking with what I felt comfortable with, not sticking with what I really wanted to do. And it was when I finally realized, you know, I have a say in how I, it sounds weird. Like I have a say in how I am sort of like how I live in this world. It's just like, there's so much kind of coming at us from other people, from advertising, from everything that really do try to dictate how we live. Mm. And when it comes down to it, I have the choice to, you know, do one thing or another. And it's hard to cancel out all the noise. Like who, who is actually making this decision? Is it coming from me because it brings me joy and, you know, nurtures my, you know, as woo as it sounds, is it, you know, coming from me and wanting to nurture my soul and who I am? Or have I heard this a million times? Therefore, I've made it my truth. Yeah. I mean, you know, as kind of a, I feel like it's sort of a, a, something that happens a lot, but you know, as far as like sexual orientation, like I heard so many times, not even just from like my own religious upbringing, but also just like the world around me that being, you know, with a man was the thing that was going to make me happy. That was the thing that was going to, you know, and that's where I was when I was writing party talk, I was like, oh, you know, this, you know, this kind of thing happening with a man is supposed to be like the apex of like life or something. Um, But then, you know, it took me a long time to kind of realize like, Hey, I actually think I am meant to go a different way. Um, It's set up as being like the defining moment. Like, Oh, this is the transition into mm -hmm. me being an adult, me being a full woman. Yeah. And let me tell you, it was not. (laughs) (laughs) It was just kind of like, oh, this guy has a lot of plants in his house. Like, that's basically like what I was thinking at the time. Um, (laughs) um, But, you know, and that was like 2017. So like five years later, um, you know, I kind of, I sort of, I had, you know, I had several moments recently where I kind of thought, oh, you know, there's this thing that I want. And it might not be seen as sort of kosher by a lot of these people in my life, even, you know, in my family. But I feel very strongly that this is sort of what I want, the right thing for me. Um, and, you know, as an example of that, you know, I I became friends with my girlfriend maybe three months before 
um, I actually told her that I liked her and I, you know, did, I didn't have to tell her that, you know, and, and I just thought, you know, I could have, she I mean, she knew that I, that I liked women, but she was just like, Oh, you know, she was just kind of discovering her own sort of stuff and what was going on with her. And I thought I could take a big chance right now and just tell her how I feel. And I decided to do that. And now we're, you know, almost half a year into this. So it's, it's pretty cool. I just got chills. <laughs> yeah. She's, yeah. She's, she's the best. So. I would love to finish up by asking you about your intention for the ending. Oh, for the ending? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh... Because, mm-hmm. and I, and you know, this is, this just shows that this is how we are used to stories going. I was like, oh, they're gonna, they're gonna end up together, right? Like, they're gonna exchange numbers and, you know, and she kisses him and they, they don't he asked for her number and she doesn't give it to him. And I was like, my initial gut reaction was like, ah, but that wasn't the story. Yeah. You know, what's in, you know, actually, because I remember when I was first writing it, I had this moment where I got to the end uh, or at least that part near the end where, you know, I had this decision of like, okay, do they end up together or do they not? And something very naturally drew me to that, to her just being like, yeah, you get a kiss, but that's it. Like, you don't get my number. You don't get anything. And I actually, I almost saw it. And it's funny looking back on it now, because I almost feel like that was sort of my statement, my sort of what I wish I could have done with so many situations, because my my pattern at the time and for many years afterwards was, you know, to exchange the numbers, to make it, you know, to, to let it completely burn out within like a week. That's like totally how I would do it. But I think at the time I, I, I had this impulse to be like, no, you know, Marie, you know, gives in a little bit, but only as much as she's comfortable with. And she just wants to see what happens if she walks away. And she does. And in my mind, she's okay with it. She's just like, oh, I'm okay with not seeing this through to sex because it doesn't have to end in sex. Not everything has to end in sex. So like, and that's something that I've had to learn over the years of my life as a woman um, is that things do not always have to come to, to that intimate, uncomfortable point. Um, and I, and I think that was sort of her statement, her kind of powerful, empowering statement, just being like, yeah, you get a little bit, but I'm not doing this whole thing. And, um, I don't even really want to be, you know, she doesn't even really want to prolong the connection. You know, it's just kind of like, this is where I was today and I'm done. Goodbye. And it's like, that's it. So like, I really think like, I wish I had had the, the, kind of courage and the strength to do what she does at the end of the play. And I didn't even know it at the time. You know, I didn't even know I was making that statement, but I think that's what it was. It it shows how you very much follow the through line of the character though and mm-hmm. and stayed true to where she ended up. It makes complete it makes complete sense. And you know, the internal bias of, you know, hoping for happily ever ever after happily ever after (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh at the end i mean that's where my mind went to 
So I'm always happy when, when the ending isn't what I expect and it's not just because the author wants to do something for the sake of being different, but it actually is true to the character. And in this case, it very much was. Right. I mean, and, and at the same time, you know, she kind of was sort of the statement that I would have wanted to make in the years after that. But also, you know, I had a similar experience with a lot of people in college up to that point in my life, up to 24, where I just had to be like, yeah, this is fun, but I got to go because I'm, I'm keeping this part of myself to myself. Um, and you know, it, you know, my, my kind of the way my life went after that is, is what it is. Um, but I'm glad that Marie is sort of, I feel like Marie is sort of the distillation of me, (laughs) like at that time. And I'm really glad that she lives within the play, um, sort of, you know, from here on in, at least I have this like distillation of like where I really was at that time of just kind of wanting to just be true to myself. And I'm, I'm, the thing is I went through many years where I wasn't and now I am again. So it, 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 it comes full circle. Lydia, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and for sharing party talk with us at Standby for Places. And if you haven't listened to it already, please check it out wherever you get your podcasts. It is an absolute delight. Thank you so much, Lydia. You're welcome. Thank you. Of course. Of course. And thank you to all of you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.